play to win. Well, this is the last uh, talk on this series, and so I'm just trusting that uh, we can capture the essence of what we're aiming for with the play to win series today. Uh, it was mentioned that I did this particular talk on Sunday night. Uh, after having looked at it again, I felt I was going to adopt and adapt it to suit the purposes of this series as well. So I've gone and stolen some material from my previous talk. So uh, that may well um, give you an idea of what happened the other night. But now let's, uh, let's pray as we open our hearts. Father, we thank you that as we open up Scripture, we find different contexts for different seasons, different times. And as we understand not only the words themselves, but why they were written, they become more meaningful to us. And so, Lord, we, we just want to pray that we would capture this moment in time, for as the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, uh, he was capturing those very challenging last words that he would ever write. So open our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so just as I prayed there, this is a, a passage that we're going to be looking at from 2 Timothy. Paul is in jail, and he's writing to Timothy, and this is the second letter that he's written to Timothy. He's literally only weeks away from uh, being, being uh, killed for his faith in Rome. And when we listen into last words, of course, they're very, very meaningful, aren't they? Any of you who, have remembering, who could remember last words from a loved one before they passed away, you, you stop and you take those words and you, you think about them a lot more than just a regular conversation. And so this morning, as we look at these words, we'll discover that Paul is talking very much in this whole manner of playing to win. And uh, the, um, the title of the message today is called Winners and Losers. Now, of course, it's not very politically correct, is it, to talk about losers? We're allowed to talk about winners, and everyone's a winner. Um, you know, you just turn up, and you're a winner. Participation certificates for everybody. And uh, there's, no, there's no sort of big prizes for those who win. They just happen to be exceptionally gifted, and uh, it's just the way it rolls. Well, the real world doesn't work like that, does it? The real world doesn't work like that. You know, you'll find that as soon as you get out of school into the workforce, you, you need to get paid for doing your work, not just eating your lunch, all right? And when you're in the sports field, there will be a winner and there will be a loser. And if you are good at what you do, you will succeed. If you're not good at what you do, you won't succeed. If you put energy in, that will be valued. And even if you're not doing such a good job, you'll be taken down a journey of people investing in you because they believe in the energy that you bring to any given scenario. And so it is with our Christian faith. We've got to bring what it is that God has given us and apply that to the setting around us so that we might build with God his kingdom. And so when we look at political correctness and the scripture, the two don't really go together. Because God talks about things like judgment. You're like, oh my goodness, judgment. We can't even say that word in the world today, can we? But yet it creeps in. And there are times when we don't want to hear what the Bible says. And we try to avoid those passages because they just seem a little bit too tough. A friend of mine about a decade ago, pastoring a church of over 400 down towards Wellington Way, and he spoke um, for a whole series about the judgment of God. And he said he cleared out 150 people from his church. <laughs> yeah, Because people didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say about judgment. And so we can find ourselves wanting to just hear what it is that we want to hear. And in doing so, we 
without realising it, we are domesticating God. We want God who curls up on the end of our bed. We want the God who we can take walking and doesn't, uh, doesn't in any fashion become more than we can handle. And yet that's not the God we serve. We don't serve a God who's domesticated. We serve a God who is Lord of all. We serve a God who is almighty, not almighty. We serve a God who is all-powerful, all powerful, not one that we know completely. We know in part. And we stand in awe of him. That's the true sense of the word awesome. We stand in awe of God, the living God. And so here is Paul with his last words. And the last thing he wants to leave Timothy is that we serve anything that looks like a domesticated God, one that serves our purposes rather than us serving his. So let's have a look at this text. Paul says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will put, not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, these are last words. They're powerful words, and they need to be unpacked in a way that helps us see just how intentional Paul is to Timothy and his instructions. And as I said before, when we know that somebody's words are their last words, we we lean in, don't we? And we take those words and we digest them, we dissect them, we, we, uh, we allow them to mature within us. So let's have a look. The beginning it said, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Okay? Interesting way of introducing a topic, isn't it? But here, Paul is using what is quite a familiar style. He's calling upon two witnesses to verify or to stand alongside what he says. He says, I call upon in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. And a little bit further down, uh, in view of two things, two important things, in view of his appearing, that's Christ coming again, and his kingdom, I give you this charge. And the charge charge here is concerning judgment. Because we're told he will judge the living and the dead. Those who, are already on, those who are already in the kingdom of God outside of this planet in eternity and those who are already here. What he's saying is all of us will be judged whether we are living or whether we are dead. And the whole thing about judgment, as I mentioned before, is that um, the Bible expects us to be honest with ourselves. We're told by God that we should judge ourselves first, lest we be judged. In other words, you've got to get in front of that mirror, that spiritual mirror, and you've got to discern what it is that God is saying to you at any given time. And sometimes that can be challenging because you have different situations that arise in your life and you're surprised, sometimes even frightened by what it is that you see in that mirror when you measure your own responses or your own reactions. And yet God is saying to us, judge yourself because there's going to come a time when you will be judged. And that means that we are going to have a time where we stand before God and have to give account. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about exactly that. 
See, this, this clicker doesn't even want to be, go there, it's so tough. Yeah. <laughs> then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. You'll notice the repetition here again is that we are judged according to what we have done. And I'll unpack that a little bit more in a moment. Because we need to look at the words of Jesus, because usually in in the scriptures of the Gospels, we find a little bit more of an interpretation of what is going on here in some of these other letters. And here Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes, this is talking about his return, in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now, when you understand the context in which this is written and these words spoken by Jesus in front of you, you can, you can hear a resonance here because the people listening in the first time, first audience, would have gone, okay, if we serve Jesus, things will go well for us. That makes perfect sense. But of course, 2,000 years on, what does that mean for us now? Well, Jesus follows that through by fulfilling the questions or answering the questions that were put to him on that day. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. So here we are being told that what we do counts. What we do counts. Now, here's the tension that we live in, because we know that we are saved by grace. Grace is, an, is, a, is a free gift. We can't earn grace. The cross of Christ is perfectly complete to earn and to win your salvation. It's paid the price, offering you forgiveness. And you need to put your faith in Christ that you might be his. However, the whole deal doesn't finish there. Not that you go on to do things to earn the love of God, but you go on to do things to show you love God, that you love what he has done for you. You want to get involved with the kingdom plan to be part of what Jesus described there when you serve the poor. And so we are told here by by Jesus that what we do counts. And we've just seen in the book of Revelation that there will come a day when that will be measured and we'll be judged according to what we did and what we didn't do. And the beauty of this is that we have the opportunity not only to accept the cross, but to move into a kingdom plan that has been laid out for us and to be able to pick up responsibilities that we have been given, projects, callings, placements, whatever you want to 
whatever you want to label it with. And we're all very, very different. That's the cool thing about it. We've all got different gifts and how we use those gifts and lay them down for God and, and serve him in a way that is honoring, in a way that is kingdom focused, in a way that is often sacrificial. These are the things that will be counted for us, counted towards us. Uh, James, as we've looked at in the Traveling Light series, captures these thoughts again as well when he says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. And there that conversation is unraveled for us. You see, to have faith and without have faith in Christ, but not have deeds, the faith is questionable. To say, I put my trust in Christ, or say, well, how much did Christ change you after you put your trust in him? Oh, nothing. I just believe in Jesus. Well, Jesus himself said that even the devil believes that and shudders. You know? So belief is the beginning of your faith journey. What you do, how you do it, is a really important part of the deal. But remember, you're not earning your salvation, you're just outworking your love for God. And as much as to make him Lord of all, not just saviour, is what the deal is all about. We talk about calling upon Jesus as our Lord and our saviour, but often we stop at the saviour bit, and the Lord bit is equally important. And this is what uh, Timothy is, is hearing from Paul. These are the last things that he is being told by his mentor. And of course, we find Jesus saying them as well. And we find that John is saying them in the book of Revelation. And I've used this illustration many times before, but I think it's really helpful. Is that there's a difference between Greek thinking and Hebrew thinking. The Bible is a Hebrew book. Okay? The Bible is a Hebrew book. Now, with a Hebrew book, you are told with Hebrew thinking that you don't know something until you are doing it. Okay, But with Greek thinking, you can know it even if you don't do it. Okay, And the example is, son, will you tidy your room and make your bed? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I heard you. you know? An hour later, son, have you made your bed, tidied your room? Yeah, I heard you. I know. No, you don't know because it hasn't been made and it hasn't been tidied. You're thinking like a Greek person. Okay? And the problem that we have today is that we live in a Greek world. We live in a world with a Greek mindset because we know more than we do. All of us know more than we do. And so when it comes to this tension here, and this is why I've used this, these little pictures, you've got four guys there leaning on shovels. So they're not actually doing the work of shoveling, are they? They're not doing the work of digging. Uh, but they would probably aspire to it. They know all uh, how to do it. And yet we've got this other picture of a couple of folks there um, digging away, and uh, they're clearly in that Hebrew category. They're thinking and they're doing, going together. And so this Hebrew thinking Bible that we have asks us to do what it is that we know, not just know what we know, and therefore accumulate knowledge and have no action accompanying it. 
uh, probably put this way, it says, truth is not being grasped until it is being lived. Okay? Until you're doing it, it's only an idea. Okay? We can have, all have great ideas about you know, that healthy detoxing diet that we're going to take. You know, we can have the book, we can have all the theory, but until you literally start to suck the lemon, you're not going to have any benefit, all right? Um, okay, so you know more than you are doing. And we're probably all like that. When it comes to our Christian faith, we probably know more than we're actually achieving. But that's not a bad thing, because that's aspirational. We're saying, God, help me to be more like Jesus. How many be more like your son? How can I be more gracious, kind, merciful, powerful with my love? How can these things be outworked in my life? These are positive things, and these are the things that will be measured for when our time comes to an end. So let's go back to this uh, passage that Paul wrote to Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, Paul's talking to two audiences here. He's talking to... Sorry, no, he's talking for two outcomes. He's talking to Timothy to say, listen, get out there and tell people about Christ. Preach the word in season and out of season. Okay, always have an Always have a reason for your faith. Give your testimony. Give your story. And so that's really important for us to remember that. So when the opportunities arise, we explain to people what our values are, and that includes the person of Jesus. But he's also talking about how Timothy as a pastor should look after his church, and he says that you need to correct, rebuke, and encourage with patience and careful instruction. Okay? Now, in the day when... Timothy was leading his church, there was only one church, okay? There was only one church in Antioch where Timothy was. So we've got this church that met together, and Timothy was the pastor, and Paul is telling him to correct, to rebuke, okay? These are the tough things. These are the tough conversations, to correct and rebuke. Now, it wasn't so difficult in the day, because when you've got one church, you're hanging there together and you're a relatively new bunch. You're learning how to be Christ followers together. But it's a little bit of a different scenario in today's society. And I've had these scenarios. I've been here 24 years. I've had these scenarios where I get alongside somebody and say, hey, you know, I think you really need to talk to somebody or pray with somebody about that attitude, you know. I've noticed that you've got this racist attitude towards this group of people. And they are, oh, you reckon? And uh, they disappear. You know? They disappear. A bit like a snowflake, really. Expose it to a little bit of heat, and they just melt away. You know? Oh, gosh, you know, you better, you better sort out that relationship with if you're really sincere about being a follower of Jesus. You know, this relationship that you've got is, is not what God would have. Now, that's a tough rebuke. It's a tough correction, isn't it? And they're like, oh, really? Oh, okay. And they just disappear. You see, there's 70 other good churches in the city. You can go and hide there for at least two years before somebody else will have the same conversation with you. And then you can slope off for another one. I figure you've got 140 years worth. Okay? Well, you don't need to be corrected. You can just disappear. 
you can disappear and say, gee, that church down the road's horrible. Horrible people. But this is the nature of it, is that because we live in an environment where we're told not to judge by the world, society says don't judge anybody, just let them be what they want. You know, we're surrounded by that at the moment, eh? The worst thing you can do in some, to somebody these days is hurt their feelings. Because, gosh, they just like snowflakes, they'll melt away. Hey, you know, the big conversation that we're having at the moment about sexuality and gender and all those things, that's just a, that's a minefield, isn't it? But whatever you do, you can have the conversation, just don't even measure anybody or judge anybody or suggest that somebody might be wrong. That's hurting somebody's feelings and judging them. That's the world we live in, but we can't be of that same mind. We've actually got to look out for one another and help each other over the hurdles. It's called discipleship. Now, you should be able to talk to somebody about their life and how they're living their Christian faith without being seen as somebody who's judging another person because it takes a great deal of courage to get alongside somebody and say, in love... I think you need to look at this part of your life and see how you could line that up a bit more with what Jesus would do. Okay? That's correcting, encouraging, rebuking with great patience and careful instruction. Okay? You don't have to read the right act to somebody. Anything that you could do to correct somebody, you don't have to stick your finger in their face. Okay? You can talk with love about the things that you want to be careful explaining to them. And, and the truth is that in church life, we are responsible for each other. Okay, we're responsible for each other. We are our brother's and sister's keeper. Okay? And so when somebody challenges you, and somebody will challenge you, and if you don't watch out, parents, it could be your kids. You know, it's always a challenging one, isn't it? You know, when your parents, your parents are challenged by your, your children, your teenagers, about your faith. You know, you don't do this whole thing, like, don't what I say, don't do what I do, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, it's always going to happen, but realize that we are there for each other. And so Paul pushes on. Just when you think he's had enough to say to us, he pushes on, he raises the bar even more, and he says, for the time will come when people will put up with, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, it's fascinating because the church was barely born at this stage. And what Paul was concerned about was heresy. People coming in with false ideas, ideas that suited the people who were preaching them more often than not. And all the things that were uh, a problem then still are a problem now because we can easily find somebody who's going to tell us what we want to hear. I found this little cartoon during my uh, preparation this last week and He's like, goes like this. I, I kind of like that. What God says and what you'd rather hear. <laughs> Look at the t- <laughs> I like the two ministers there looking at each other. Eh? Now, this guy's smug, you know. He's telling everybody what they want to hear. Oh, my headset's there. All right. You got a stapler? <laughs> yeah, you probably have. <laughs> Would you like to use it? Of course. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks for that, Darren. Um, yeah, so, you know, this isn't, this is a bit of a laugh, the cartoon, but as I pointed out earlier in my talk, in real life, this happens. In real life, this happens. And we can, we can get sucked into all sorts 
of different belief systems where our ears are being tickled, where our ears are being tickled. And for example, the prosperity doctrine. That's taken the United States and now Africa largely by storm. We were told that if God is really God, he will bless you because he loves you, and therefore there is only one true measure of his blessing upon you, and that is your material wealth increases and you'll never get sick and all those sorts of things. And it's a very easy-to-swallow doctrine because it sounds a heck of a lot like, like what society wants for you, doesn't it? You know, it's, it's the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, turn on its head. And uh, I can remember being in, um, in Accra in Ghana about a decade ago, uh, going down the street, and there was this huge building that uh, didn't have sides, but it had a roof on it. And it would easily have set 10,000 people. And the guy who was taking us on this tour around the city said, look, um, that used to be a church. And I said, well, what was the story there? He said, oh, this preacher came in with a real prosperity-driven doctrine, and at the end of every service, he used to split people up into four categories. He said, those who needed money, go over there. Those who wanted a wife or a husband, go over here. Uh, those who were unwell, go over this side. And those who ne needed or wanted an American visa, go to the other quarter. And, uh, and I was like, you're kidding me, right? And he goes, no, thousands of people believed that what this guy was saying was the gospel according to Jesus. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, 10,000 people became disillusioned. 10,000 people said, your God doesn't work. Why? Because the God he was preaching was not the God of Scripture. And that's, that's the really the bottom line of what heresy does. It makes God look bad. It makes God look bad. Now, when it comes to itching ears, we live in a perfect world for itching ears, don't we? Let's just go back and look at that, uh, that scripture again to remind you. It says, uh, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Well, we live in the perfect world for itching ears. Because on Dr. Google, Dr. Google with a doctorate in divinity, he will tell you anything that you want because somebody will have thought of it before and is there to back up your thoughts or maybe even inform you on things you didn't realize you had to know. All right? And you will find evidence for any doctrine that you want to believe. Now, I just went crazy all right, on Google during the week. And uh, I just threw in a few thoughts and saw what I got back. Uh, Jesus returning in 2020. Yeah, I just thought that was a good one. Uh, somebody's got it next year, so we better watch out. Donald Trump is the Antichrist. Well, that just about filled the whole, it blew the internet apart. Um, Chuck Missler, who was a, a great Bible teacher who died last year, uh, is a heretic. Yep, everybody's a heretic. I'm even a heretic. Jump on there. You'll find that I'm a heretic as well. Um, uh, the Apostle Paul was a deceiver. Yep, here he is. No, he wasn't just a deceiver. He was, the, uh, he was the Antichrist. Yeah? All right, so that's good. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament. And God made marijuana. <laughs> marijuana to the glory of God. You know? Woohoo! Hey, talk about uh, singing in the spirit. Yeah, you know? 
talk about going up to that seventh heaven to meet with the Lord in the air. Yeah, yeah no, all these great arguments, you know, like God made it, so therefore we, we must be allowed to smoke it. Well, why don't you go smoke some ragwort, you know? That doesn't, it doesn't, just because he made it. Uh, you know, so it goes on. What I'm trying to say is that you have to have sound doctrine. Don't just get on Google and believe anything that comes. Uh, it was interesting how we've had to evolve our way of thinking since the internet. Because I have to admit, a decade ago, I would have lots of people come to me and say, did you know this? And I'd say, what? And they'd tell me something. I'd say, where'd you find that out? And I'd say, on Google. Well, listen, you were raised in an environment where a school book was valuable, it was sacred. Okay? And it was authoritative. Just because you printed that out of your computer does not make this, because it's on paper, authoritative. Rip it up. Throw it away. Sound doctrine is really important. We need to be people who study Scripture and understand for ourselves. And when we see something, it'll have a sense initially, or a smell, or, or something that doesn't quite sound right. You've got to trust that. Okay? Uh, just this last week, my daughter did her last essay for uh, her theology degree, uh, Brittany. And our other daughter this year started her master's degree in theology. So sitting around my table, I can't get away with anything now. So, um, so I'm getting not only my, my clothes and what I wear get assessed, but <laughs> my haircuts and... It's tough being me. <laughs> but now even my theology, you know, used to, you know... It used to be easy when the kids were five and they'd, say, they'd go, why? And I'd say, because God says. <laughs> now I have to explain it. So, be people of the word. Because we'll be judged on this stuff. See, what we think in our, is quickly followed by our actions, eh? The way we think leads to our actions. And so, what we do is really important. Because what we do with this wonderful gift of salvation that we've been given by God through Christ uh, will make a difference in the world around us as we allow God to lead us. And finally, um, Paul said this, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. When he says there, keep your head in all situations, it's really that saying that says, keep calm and carry on. You know the one? Keep calm and carry on. Don't be dis disturbed by other people's craziness. You get on with what you know to get on with. You get on with doing what you already know. And let other people work out some of that crazy stuff for themselves. But um, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of being a missionary. And um, let me put a different spin on it as we finish. I have potential of getting in trouble here or being misunderstood. The reason why... The reason why we're judged by what we do is because what we do counts. It counts here on earth because we are witnesses to Christ. When we call ourselves Christians, we are called little Christs. And therefore, our actions are being measured according to what people would expect Jesus to do. And so, out of doing, we can share our faith, discharge our duty as an evangelist, Share with others what we believe. But if your doing doesn't match up to what Christianity is really all about, if your doing is that you're late for work, if your doing is that you gossip, if your doing is that you're the one who gets dragged out of the office party too drunk to drive home, 
If you're doing is that your jokes are, are more blue than the sky. If you're doing is that you're running from, running from one relationship to the next. If you're doing is that you're, and you get what I'm saying, don't do the work of an evangelist, please. Because myself and others get real sick of the hypocrisy we have to defend. You see, the thing is a complete package. It's a complete package. What we do reflects who we are. And out of who we are, we are given the ability to share the faith that we have because of the God that we serve. So what we do, what we say, and what we believe goes together. We're called to be complete witnesses. We're not called to be perfect. That's why the word sorry is really helpful. Use it regularly. Yeah? That's why forgiveness is really important. Give it away generously. But remember, there comes a day when all of this gets swept up. All of this gets gathered together, and we'll stand before God, and you'll say, what did you do with the salvation that I gave to you freely? What did you do with it? Eugene Peterson, who died three weeks ago, who wrote the message translation of the Bible, said this to Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, you take over. I'm about to die. My life an offering on God's altar. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish, believed all the way. All that's left now is the shouting, God's applause. Depend on it. He's an honest judge. He'll do right, not only by me, but by everyone eager for his coming. Great words, eh? What a great man. What a great man. It's the only race worth running. It's the only race worth running. Let's stand. God, we thank you that you trust us. You trust us with things to do for you. You don't say, now you're safe, sit over there and get out of my way. We say, you say to us, come and partner with me to extend the kingdom. Come and partner with me to build the future. Come and partner with me that people might see my son Jesus in you by your actions and by your words. And so for that reason, Lord, we... With a, with a soberness today, we, we take a, a big look forward into the future because it's always about tomorrow. It's always about what we can do, how we can serve you. Help us to put feet and hands on our faith. Help us to be the people who, without being judged into action, are called and loved into action as a response to what you've done for us that your death on the cross would motivate us, that the power of your resurrection would fulfill us, that the work of your Holy Spirit would give us confidence and leadership. All these things, Lord, are about us playing to win. And that's exactly what we want to do. Win so that you get the glory. So we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.